Now, if you are just joining us here for the first time, uh, or for the first time in a few weeks, uh, we are several weeks into a series that we're calling A Beautiful Mess. A Beautiful Mess, and this series is all about family. It's all about family. Uh, We've learned that family can be a beautiful thing, but family can also be a bit of a mess at times, right? And so the key idea we want to communicate through this series is this. Even if you came from a dysfunctional family, you are not destined for a dysfunctional life. Why? Because we believe in a God who has revealed himself in the pages of Scripture, and he's a God of redemption, a God of hope, a God of healing. Amen? He meets us where we are. And so today's message, I think, is a really special one because uh, if if you've missed the multiple times we've mentioned it in the service today, it's Mother's Day. Uh, Today is Mother's Day, and so if some of you have walked in the sanctuary today and you totally forgot that and you're saying, oh no, I forgot to get my mom a Mother's Day card, uh, don't worry, there's a Walgreens down the street. If you quickly leave the sanctuary after the service, you can get a card there before they run out. Now, There's also another group of people who've walked in the sanctuary today. And this group, some of you probably didn't want to come to church today. Um, You didn't want to come to church because you knew, you knew we would talk about Mother's Day. And Mother's Day is very painful for you. Perhaps you desperately want to be a mom, but you're still single. Or you haven't been able to get pregnant. Maybe you're an older couple who has not been able to have children, or you're a mom whose heart is wrenched because your children are older and they've walked away from the Lord. Perhaps this is the first Mother's Day since your mom passed away. If any of that is part of your story, I just want to say, and we all just want to say, we're sorry. And so at the outset of the message today, I want to also say that even if you are a mom here this morning, it is possible that you can resonate with the feeling of being invisible. Now, for those of you that don't know my story, I was raised most of my childhood by a single mom. In fact, let me just show you a picture of my mom, or a couple pictures. My mom, and when I was a bit younger, you can catch pictures of those, um, My father, sadly, passed away when I was young, and my mom had to shoulder the load of two parents for most of my life. And so if you're a single mom out there, let me just say this. You are a hero. In fact, let me say it again. You are a hero. Wonder Woman has nothing on you. Not even Captain Marvel, any of those superheroes. Being myself a parent now, I know how difficult it is to raise kids, even with two parents. And so to all the moms out there, you need to know how special you are and how we would not be who we are today without you. My mom was always there for me. When I lost a baseball game, when I had the lead in a school play, when I struggled in school, when I married my beautiful bride... And even when I did silly things as a kid, my mom was there. And whenever I would do something new in my life, I would always run to my mom and I would say this, Mom, watch this. Mom, watch this. Watch what I can do. And I would say that because I loved it when my mom noticed me and let me know how much she loved me. Because even in the difficulties, my mom was there. Even in the heartaches, My mom was there. Before smartphones, my mom was there. 
And when I sprayed the entire dining room with a hose, my mom was there. Now, that, 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 just mentioning that warrants a quick story, so let me tell you this. Um, I don't know how your house is situated, but when I was growing up, our dining room uh, had a doorway that led out to a back porch. And so the thing that I, I was kind of annoying about our back porch was that there were wasps that loved to build nests back there. And so me, trying to be helpful, I decided one day to go and grab the hose that was pretty close to that door, unravel it and bring it over to our screen door and just leave it open a little bit of a crack so that I could spray the wasp nest that was in the corner of the porch and take it down. Great idea, right? So I would go there and I would start, I started spraying and spraying. And what I didn't account for was the fact that since the door was open, a wasp might get in the house. So the wasp came in the house and I turned that hose on that dining room everywhere. And so you can imagine the look my mom gave me. <laughs> and even during that moment, my mom was there. Because mothers take pride in their kids even when they spray the dining room with a hose. And so if no one else sees them, sees their kids, their, mom always, their moms always do. But I think we often take this for granted. Because for many moms, they're, they're always noticing other people, but they can feel invisible themselves. Have you ever felt that way? You notice everything that everyone else does, but no one notices you. My mom always told me a mother's work is never done. How often does it get noticed? A woman named Nicole Johnson captures this tension in her article entitled, I Am Invisible, and she writes this. She says, it all began to make sense. The blank stares, the lack of response, the way one of the kids will walk into the room while I'm on the phone and asked to be taken to the store. And inside my head, she writes, I'm thinking, can't you see? I'm on the phone. Obviously not. She writes this, no one can see if I'm on the phone or cooking or sweeping the floor or even standing on my head in the corner because no one, because no one can see me at all. I'm invisible. Some days I'm only a pair of hands, nothing more. See, in our hearts, Many of us want to be noticed, and we're afraid we never will be. And we're always wanting mom to watch us, but we often don't take the time to notice her as we should. Now, if you're a younger mom here today, you may be struggling with something else, burnout. In fact, I recently came across another article by a woman named Jenna Fleming entitled, Why Are Millennial Moms Struggling with Burnout? In the article, she contends that millennials have become the burnout generation. Why? Because many mothers work outside the home, but studies are showing it doesn't reduce their work in the home. And so all this causes Fleming to ask this question. She says, feeling overwhelmed lately? Do small, tedious tasks seem insurmountable like a, like a two-story tidal wave rushing upon the shore of life? Does anxiety rear its ugly head in the balancing act of work and home? If so, then you might be a millennial. Now, this probably isn't relegated only to millennials, but she, she mentions here that with all the advantages of modern-day life, one would think it would be easier, but it's not, because the mobility of younger people puts them further away from extended family, and the allure of Instagram causes them to compare their lives with others. Are you a mom facing burnout? Do you feel invisible? If so, you have a lot in common with a woman named Hagar in Genesis 16. 
Now, as part of our sermon today, we're going to have a panel of women sharing their experiences in motherhood. Uh, But before we get to that, uh, we're going to catapult from Genesis 4, where we were last week, all the way over the story of Noah and to the life of Abraham and Sarah, which is part of this Genesis 16 story. Uh, It's it's a rather more obscure story today, Hagar's life, Uh, but her life was turned upside down by her master's response to an unfulfilled promise, and then she had an encounter in the wilderness that transformed her life forever. And so I invite you to join me in Genesis 16, and before we get there, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your grace here this morning. Thank you for moms. Thank you for the blessing of children that that creates moms, Lord. And um, Lord, I don't know everybody's story as they've walked in here today, but I pray that you would meet us where we're at. I pray that we would know that you love us, that you care for us, that you see us, that we're not invisible. And impress that upon our hearts today, Lord. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 16.1. We quickly get the lay of the land in this story, and it says this. Now, Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. Okay, so we immediately meet the, the three players in the story. We meet Sarai, Abraham, and Hagar. As one commentator put it, the story begins with Sarai, it ends with Hagar, and Abraham is in the middle, or Abraham is in the middle. Now, Abraham and Sarai are later renamed Abraham and Sarah, and so I'm going to use those names most of the time today so I don't get confused. Um, To properly understand this verse, though, let me give you some context. So in Genesis 12, if you go back a couple chapters here, God tells Abraham that he's going to make him into a mighty nation and bless the world. God is going to accomplish his purposes through Abraham and his family. And if you go out to Genesis 15, right before this chapter, God makes Abraham another promise. He says this, you're going to have a son. You're going to have an heir. At the time, he had no kids. And so you can see why Genesis 16.1 is a crushing verse for Sarah because this promise has gone unfulfilled. And as the months go by, and as the years go by, there's no child. There's no heir. And for women in the ancient Near East, being able to bear a child was the mark of success as a wife. In other words, if Sarah wasn't able to provide Abraham with an heir, she would be viewed as a failure. Now at this point, we should recognize the other player in the story today, Hagar, Uh, She was a slave that Sarah and Abraham likely picked up in the previous chapters uh, while they were traveling in Egypt. She's also probably young and of childbearing years, and so Sarah comes up with a plan in verse 2. It says, And Sarah said to Abraham, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servants. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. Well, okay, so... Some of you are saying, what in the world is going on here? (laughs) This is in the Bible? (laughs) You need to read your Bible more. Um, There's two things I want you to notice about this verse. First, Sarah blames God. The Lord has prevented me from having children, she says. It's God's fault I'm not getting pregnant. And so Sarah stopped believing that God saw her. Instead, she believed he was punishing her. Have you ever believed that God stopped listening to you? 
And so as a result, secondly, Sarah takes matters into her own hands, and this is where things get a little weird. Now, at this point, some other people in the audience might be asking the question, um, is God okay with this arrangement that she just proposed here? Well, like, is he okay with polygamy? Well, actually, by ancient Near Eastern standards, the arrangement was pretty common. Uh, there was uh, wealthy matriarchs who were barren. Uh, they would offer their servants to their husbands as a way of bearing children. And so the servant became a type of second-tier wife who was still owned by the matriarch, kind of weird by our standards. But to answer the question, I'll simply say this. Uh, whenever polygamy or the taking of concubines is seen in the Bible, it's always viewed negatively. And so I think we can safely assume God doesn't approve of this. Why? Well, because it creates a complete and total mess. And the same happens here. The cultural practices likely continue because the men uh, did not object to it. And so it's no different with Abraham. The second part of verse 2 says this, And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah. Now take note of that word, listened. Because whenever you see a biblical character listening to someone or something other than the voice of God, it doesn't go well. Literally, it says here, Abraham obeyed the voice of his wife. Whatever you say, honey, what could possibly go wrong with this, right? <laughs> now, this section actually parallels Genesis 3, uh, uh, the account we looked at a few weeks ago. Uh, remember, Eve gave Adam the fruit and he ate and sin entered the world, how did that go? Right? Not so well. And uh, neither will this plan, as we'll see. In fact, the text tells us in verse 3 that Abraham and Sarah tried for another 10 years, still no children. So, they decide to go with Sarah's plan. Abraham takes Hagar as his wife, and very quickly she becomes pregnant. Yay! Right? Isn't this supposed to be a great thing? Isn't this what everybody was hoping for? Not everyone. Because after Hagar conceives, we get a very important editorial note in verse 4 and 5. It says this, And he went into Hagar, that's Abraham, and she conceived. And she saw that she had conceived, and she, Hagar, looked with contempt on her mistress, Sarah. And Sarah said to Abraham, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. And so here, the messiness comes full circle. What's going on in this scene? Well, let me highlight just a few details. First, that word mistress actually refers to Sarah. Now, mistress can mean a woman who has authority or control over someone. So, why would Hagar look with contempt on Sarah? Well, for two reasons, I think. First, uh, she was able to bear children. And so I think it's natural that she would exhibit some pride. In other words, she may have been rubbing this in Sarah's face, looking down at her, saying, look what I can do, and you couldn't. And second, you have to remember, again, the cultural background. Sarah still owns Hagar. And the reason that she allowed Abraham to take her as a second-tier wife idea was so that Sarah could have a child through her. In other words, Sarah was going to take the baby from Hagar and raise as her own. You see how messy this situation is? Right? In fact, if you're a mother out there, how does the thought of having your baby taken from you feel? 
Perhaps you can understand this verse a little bit more. Again, what could go wrong with the scenario, right? Sarah sees that Hagar is treating her differently, and so she blames Abraham for the whole thing. And Abraham, again, not, not, Abraham doesn't want to deal with the whole situation, the whole conflict, and so he simply says, she is your servant, you, you deal with her. By the way, if you've ever read any of Abraham's story, you know that he avoids conflict like the plague. So as a result, the text tells us this in verse 6. Then Sarah dealt harshly with her, that's Hagar, and she fled, Hagar fled from Sarah. Why does Sarah do this? Ironically, she probably felt like Hagar was mistreating her, that Hagar was reminding her that she was childless. And so Hagar's pregnancy was a reminder, constant reminder to Sarah that the promise of God that he made to her appeared unfulfilled. Now let me point something out here. Whether you're a mother here today or not, I think this is something we all can relate to. What do you do when you believe that you're promised something and it doesn't happen? I imagine it's natural to feel invisible. And before we move on to the next scene, I think we need to wrestle with this question, what do you do when you feel invisible? When you feel invisible, will you trust that God sees you? When a promise appears unfulfilled, will we trust God or will we take matters into our own hands? Because what Sarah did really was a natural reaction. I mean, cultural customs allowed her to use her servant to get what she wanted. Uh, but God wanted her to have faith that the promise would be fulfilled. What would you have done in her situation? It's an opportunity for all of us to examine our hearts because, listen, it is easy to allow our children to become our identity. I mean, Sarah did. Author Jen Wilkin offers this challenge to her fellow mothers. She says this, a mom whose love of her kids is motivated by their achievements or behavior has identity issues. If she has, if she has to raise the perfect child in order to feel a peace about her worth, her identity is misplaced. By asking motherhood to be her savior, she reveals not that she loves her kids too much, but too little. If you really want to love your kids, if you really want to bless them, the point is you need to love Jesus more. That when your kids want your attention and they cry, Mom, watch this! Don't forget to tell them someone is always watching over you. That there is a great high priest in heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, who sees you. You are not invisible. You are never invisible to him. And your ultimate approval comes from him. Now, next week, we're going to be talking about family becoming an idol, so stay tuned for that. Um, but today, the point we're looking at is that God wants to build our faith. And that gets us to point two in our second scene, an encounter in the wilderness. And so we pick up in verse 7 with Hagar. Now, just picture this. There's a young, pregnant woman wandering in the wilderness, most likely the desert. Uh, she is trying to return home to Egypt, and I'll bet, I'm just willing to bet, that she feels lonely, disenfranchised, invisible. What happens? Verse 7. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. 
Now, the angel of the Lord is a figure that's mentioned 58 times in the Old Testament. He's often seen as a figure who represents God or even as God himself. By Hagar's response, we will see that the latter is in view here. Verse 8, And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarah. Now, I want to pause here and I want you to take this in for a second. Because there's a really important detail in here I don't want you to miss, and you probably don't know it just with a surface reading. Not only does the angel show up, he speaks to Hagar. Now, I emphasize that because this is not something that happens. In fact, Hagar is the only woman that God speaks to directly in the book of Genesis. And listen to this. In this narrative, Hagar is, the only, is only seen as speaking to God. In other words, uh, she never speaks to Abraham or Sarah in the narrative here. Only God. That's got to be important, right? I mean, the woman who just felt completely and totally invisible, God speaks to her. Again, just, just take in how amazing that is. Because picture a time that you were walking through something terrible, did you ever feel invisible because no one spoke to you? That same God that spoke to Hagar sees you and wants to speak to you. In fact, look at what he says in verse 9. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress, Sarah, and submit to her. What? Huh? You mean he wants her to go back to the woman who was treating her poorly? Why in the world would God want her to do this? Well, in the very next verse, God tells Hagar that he's going to multiply her offspring. Uh, notice here it's a similar promise given to Abraham as in chapter 15, uh, but the promise here is given to Hagar without salvation attached to it. it that, that, that's reserved for another line. But we see a key lesson in Hagar's life here that for the promise to be fulfilled, you need to wait and submit. And this was a lesson that Abraham and Sarah missed. Hagar's obedience to return to a difficult situation and trust God that he would take care of her was an act of faith. And she would have to trust that God saw her, that he would take care of her. And in fact, that promise is made clear in verse 11. He says this to her, Behold, you are pregnant, Hagar, and you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. The angel says to Hagar, you're going to have a son. And what should you name him? Name him Ishmael. Do you know what Ishmael means? The name represents the belief that God hears. Now take that in for a second. Because if you're sitting here today wondering if God hears you, if God sees you, look at what he did for Hagar. He says, I'm not just going to give you a son but his very name will remind you that I'm a God who hears. Why? Because I have listened to your affliction. The Lord has listened to your affliction. Wow. In fact, some of us in this room need to hear this word from the Lord today, that God is a God who listens to your affliction. It doesn't mean that he's going to remove it right away, but he hears he sees, and in his timing, he will show up and show you what he has meant he's been doing. 
In fact, some of us have stopped believing that God hears or sees. Maybe we think he's blind or mute. Maybe you've wanted a child for so many years and it hasn't come. Maybe you've been waiting for a spouse for more years than you can count. Maybe as a teenager, your friends have left you and you feel alone. Maybe your family is broken. I don't know what your situation is here today, but I do know this. The Lord has listened to your affliction. And sometimes it's in the affliction that God speaks most clearly. Listen to how Hagar responds in verse 13. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. You are a God of seeing. Now in the scriptures, when God is described as seeing, it is to indicate that he cares. But don't miss the second half of that verse. It says, truly here, I have seen the one who looks after me. Do you see what he's saying? That here in the wilderness, when Hagar thought she was alone and invisible and that no one was listening, she says, God himself heard me. God himself came to me. God himself sat with me. Wow. Now, I don't know where you are today, but I do know that the God of the Bible is a God who sees, and he is a God who wants to build our faith in him. Now, since today is Mother's Day, I, I do want to highlight that Hagar was a woman of faith, a mother of faith, and motherhood can be hard and messy, and Hagar's child wasn't even born yet. So to add some flesh to this, I'd like to invite some women to the stage who know what it's like to be moms at different stages of life, uh, some women who have spent time with God in the wilderness. So ladies, if you wouldn't mind joining me on stage, maybe we can turn on the light in the living room over here. That'd be great. Thank you so much. Now I can enter. Um, we thought it would be kind of cool to do something a little different today where we, we allowed some ladies to have, have a voice uh, in our message this morning and... Um, uh, the idea is that we have three women from three very different stages of life. And so here sitting next to me is my, my beautiful bride, Amanda. Um, we have a daughter who's two and a half. Uh, so we're at the very, very early stages of, of family and, and parenting. Um, next to her is Mary Wong. Mary's got a, a, a couple children who have graduated high school and are in the college young adult years. So she's kind of, she survived those teenage years, which is, which is awesome. And uh, over, all the way to my right is uh, Barbara Zellman. Barbara's, uh, Barbara's a little further along, and so I'll let you share a bit about your family in, <laughs> in just a few minutes. So, so what I'm going to do here is I'm going to go through. I have, I have one question for each of them to share about their stage of life, and then we're going to come back around, and I have one question they're, they're all going to, to answer to kind of close us out. So, uh, so Amanda, um, uh, today we spoke about this feeling of being invisible, and so I, I imagine uh, for young moms out there who are in the season of, that season of life, you're juggling a lot of responsibility and it's probably easy to feel invisible, uh, like no one understands what you're going through, right? So maybe you can share with us some lessons you've learned and what are some challenges that young moms are facing uh, today? Yeah, um, so I think a lot of uh, being a new mom is just learning <laughs> because you don't have anything to go on. Um, so. I think we're adjusting to a new stage of life. It's unique and it's incredibly difficult. At the same time, um, we wear many, many hats and we need community with other women to let us know that we're not alone. 
um, or that we're not crazy. Like if your kids write on the walls with crayons too. Okay, yay, we're a team now. So um, if we don't have that community, we become invisible by default. I mean, nobody sees you, nobody hears you. You just become like a f afterthought. Um, and we forget to enjoy the moments, and then we get lost in the day to day, and we put unnecessary pressure on ourselves from society or other women, um, and then our reality gets skewed. And so um, we forget that God sees us in those moments, um, and He uses other women to help us remember that promise. So for me, um, I feel a lot of pressure sometimes as a new mom. Um, I work two part time jobs. Um, one is pretty obvious. I'm also a nurse, so um, sometimes I get excuse me, sometimes I get that feeling where, like, moms are judging me because I'm working. Like, why aren't you home with your kids, you know? Like, who's watching your child? Well, I'm just going to let her hang out by herself. She's two years old. <laughs> Don't start any rumors today. <laughs> she's just making her lunch. She's fine. She's at home. Um, so, you know, like, there's this back and forth between should you work as a mom, should you stay home as a mom, um, you know, what... Uh, should you be doing with your child at this at this stage? I mean, every single person is so different. It's just so irrational to judge somebody on what they're doing and how they're working in their family. Um, so it does get uh, pretty um, judgy sometimes. And I think a lot of us need to take a step back and just realize, like, you know, everyone's doing the best we can at this stage. Um, nobody has it all figured out. And, you know, if... If um, the one thing, if one thing I could say to encourage other moms is that find find a group of women or a community that you can talk through everyday things from, um, texting, calling, whatever. It's so lonely in this day and age because you're having to do so much for your child. So it's so easy to feel invisible, and without community, it's incredibly hard. So I would just say that. Yeah, and there's a lot of complexities I think that go into that. Um, I also think one of the things we mentioned in the first service was the idea that um, I know for you it was hard when you went back to work because you really don't want to leave your, uh, your child, but you also have, have giftings that you want to use in the workplace. Right. Um, so, right. so uh, you know, it's a balancing act to do those things. Yeah, I mean, I think women that are moms are, are much more than just a mom. Um, I think we have a lot of skill sets and, and things that we can use for ministry that aren't just in the home if you choose to do that. And I don't think we should be looked down on or felt guilty because of it. Yeah. Yeah, and going the other way is certainly not, it's, you know, like you said, it's a, it's a choice. So, um, so Mary, let's move on to the next stage of life. Um, I think uh, the scene of Hagar in the wilderness is really quite poignant. Um, in fact, it's incredible to think that God meets Hagar in her moment of vulnerability and speaks to her. Uh, I think it shows that, she, that he is present with her. And I think it also speaks to our, the importance of our relationship uh, with Jesus and parenting. What would you, you know... What have you learned in the wilderness of parenting? And uh, how has God used motherhood to shape your walk with him? I think I can speak for all mothers who say that there's nothing that humbles you more than being a mother, being a parent. And now that my kids are adults now, young adults, I feel like there were many moments in the wilderness where if I didn't know that Jesus was with me and also with them, it would have been very, very hard. And so I encourage all parents out there to remember God is always with you, and he's also always with your children. So one of the things we can do as parents is to build our families to be Christ-centered instead of child-centered or me-centered. And in this day and age, I think it's very yeah. easy, and there's so many temptations to make your family child-centered or me-centered. And it really begins with us as parents to make 
church or our spiritual life a priority, to make you know, reading and learning from God's word a priority. So when we model that, um, we can teach that to our children. And then they see that God is more important than they are. And therefore, when they have problems or when they have struggles, we can encourage them to turn to him and to turn to his word for wisdom and guidance. Uh, we can't always be there, and we won't always be there for our children, but if we turn their hearts to him, no matter what kind of struggles they go to, they know that God is always there for them and that his word is faithful and has many good uh, nuggets of wisdom and encouragement for them. Just like when we as parents struggle, we can turn to God's word and find wisdom there and find encouragement there. And also, I would say, being a Christ-centered home also means teaching your children uh, to not only go to church and, and be with God's people, uh, where they can be blessed by God's people, but they can also be a blessing to others. So to serve in the church community as well and to see it as a community, as Amanda said, so that when we are struggling or when they are struggling, that they can be open with brothers and sisters in Christ and ask for prayer support and ask for encouragement. I mean, we can all lift up each other and encourage each other in our walk. I would say there's another thing I want to encourage parents that I've learned is that, and I wish I had learned this lesson earlier, but I realize now that God has created each of our children as very unique and um, different individuals with different learning styles, different personalities, different love languages. And my job as a parent is to study my child and to learn what kind of learning style he or she has and then use that to teach them. And that's a good thing to remember and to remind them that God created them individually and he has a calling and plan for each child. And it's not the same from child to child. If you have twins, you know that they're different. <laughs> um, and so as they go through life to encourage them to look to God, that he created them, he has a calling and plan for their lives and just keep turning their faces to him just as I need to keep turning my face to him. Yeah. You know, one thing I think we, we also said in the first service and I thought it was kind of a cool point is that, um, uh, parents that have kids in your stage of life uh, in the millennial range tend to travel a lot more. And so uh, can you, I, I thought you had a really beautiful way of talking about um, how when your kids are not close to home, that it's, there's a tendency to want to still be, be a mom and it's hard to let them go. How do you, how do you, how does that feel? You know, how do you, how do you wrestle with that? For those of you who know my family well, my, um, our son graduated from college last year, and he chose to go far, far away to California, and I can't be a helicopter mom there. Darn. But, <laughs> but we learn as parents to let them go, and we can still keep encouraging them through phone calls or FaceTime, you know, technology texting, um, the important thing we find is when they're far away to keep encouraging them with God's word and to let them know that we're praying for them and to keep encouraging them to find a community of believers where they are. And so I was tempted to send a drone out there. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, uh, it's good to know that he belongs to God and God will take care of him. And there were, well, I'll save this for later, but just, just know that God is with them and just to trust God's will for their lives. And even though you don't have direct control, we can still keep praying for them and asking God to work in their hearts and to mold them and shape them after Jesus. Yeah, thank you. Barbara, you've been around NBC for, for a little bit. Amen. <laughs> so in our, in our story today, um, we learned a lot about Sarah and Hagar and their longing for family. 
Um, is that something you can relate to? Uh, maybe tell us a bit about your family and what lessons you've learned. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I have been around here for a long time. Uh, my life was a little bit different than most of the people today. My mom and dad grew up in this area of Millington, and my mom, who would be 115 if she were alive, came to Sunday school and church over in the old church over there. And so uh, my dad grew up in Millington. His father was the blacksmith in the town. And so when they married, and there were four of us, they made sure that we came to Sunday school and church over here where we each one accepted Christ as our savior. Um, and I was baptized at a very young age, but that makes me the oldest living member of this church. And uh, I've stayed here too. But I have to say, the Lord has been so faithful. The only thing that I ever really wanted to be in life was a wife and a mom. And uh, I, my husband and I raised a daughter and a son who now both live in Massachusetts. And the picture up on the screen, that's part of my family. I have five uh, grandchildren and three great-grandchildren. And so um, they aren't close. But as Mary said, you keep in contact with them. I don't even have a computer. I write letters the old-fashioned way, put that 50-cent stamp on and <laughs> tell them how much I'm praying for them and how much they need uh, the Lord meets to, means to them and they mean to the Lord. And uh, my uh, mom was a great model for me. She was very active in not just the church but in local activities in the town. And she taught me to always be faithful never give up to keep working even as long as the Lord has given me the ability. And as a lot of you know, I've been a Sunday school teacher for like 70 years. <laughs> <laughs> so the Lord. <laughs> and believe me, there are times when I think, I think I should give up, but the Lord says, no, keep going. And he's been faithful. And I have to say, I never felt invisible. My personality was not that type. But I did feel like a servant many times when you're eating dinner mm. and you never get to sit down and eat a hot meal. And uh, you know, you're working and you'll say, who was your servant last year? You know? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, never invisible. But as I pointed out in the early service, I'm sure glad I wasn't Sarah, because if the Lord ever said to me, at this age, you're going to have a baby, I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I think I would not be too happy. <laughs> it's hard enough taking care of great-grandchildren. But um, anyway, the Lord has been faithful. Um, got married at a young age, but he also took my husband at a young age, and 
he has proved, the Lord has proved to be a husband and a friend and taken good care of me through all the years. And uh, I just can't thank him enough. I see him working in my life every day. And my children, I always tell them that you have to walk the talk and not just tell them about Jesus. You have to live that life. All right. Well, thank you so much, Barbara, for sharing that. And uh, just for your faithful legacy here at NBC, we really, we stand in awe of you. So um, I'd like to come back. Uh, one final question all the ladies are going to answer, and it's this. Uh, Genesis 16, I think the main point of Genesis 16 is that it teaches mature faith waits and trusts in the Lord. And so as we wrap up our time, um, the final question is this. Was there a time that you had to wait and trust in the Lord? Uh, what advice would you have for moms who are walking through a similar situation, if we can start back over with Amanda and, and with Barbara. Um, yeah, to be a little vulnerable, I mean, the one thing that young moms struggle with a lot, I think that's never said, is miscarriages. And so for the last year and a half, you and I have been struggling with multiple miscarriages. And it's just um, something that's, that's becoming more public, um, but the privacy of it can be so damaging. Yeah. It can be like, you know, you feel incredible guilt. Um, you start thinking, what's wrong with you? Is God hearing me? Is he seeing me? Is he listening? You know, like, why would he allow so much emotional trauma to go on? You know, um, what's his yeah. plan? It's a lot of, of testing of faith. Um, and so it's been one of the hardest things that uh, I personally have ever had to go through. Yeah. And it's just incredibly um, lonely sometimes. So um, it's been a season of waiting. Um, and I know that other people in the audience have had that or experienced that. And... Um, I just want you to know that I know what that feels like, and it's really hard, um, it's painful, but I think God hears us even in that, even in our hurt, and um, I think that's another reason why we need community, yeah. and um, we all have this you know, responsibility on top of everything else, so um, it's hard to feel like you can be seen while you're hurting when you're supposed to do everything else too. Um, so it's just... Um, it's important to bring the most invisible issues to light and say, hey, you know what? God sees you and so do I. You know, like people don't, especially women and young moms, they don't need to feel like they can't share um, because I guarantee yeah. it's, you're not the only person in the world that's experienced it. Um, yeah. And it helps you heal. And so, you know, the very private things that we think are not supposed to be shared are maybe things that God really want us to share with other people so that we can heal. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, Hesse, Mary. Same question, Mary. <laughs> For those of you who have teenagers, you may be having a hard time with them. And um, for us, we had a really rough few years uh, with our oldest. <clears throat> I might get emotional talking about it, but it's a time when it's easy to feel guilty or to, f to have your children's actions or inaction um, define our identity, and that's not true. You know, God still loves me. I still did the best job I could with my child, and you may be out there feeling like you're upset or sad or um, anxious that your child has strayed away from God. And for a few years, um, when my husband and I were going through this, we felt we were on our knees. We were driven to prayer and humility and just asking God to keep reaching out to him. And, you know, it turned out well in our situation. Not that he couldn't stray again, but 
you know, he's out in California now, as I said, and he's found a really great um, church community and is in fellowship with people. But it took a time of waiting and just trusting in him. And during that time, you just have to cling to the belief that he belongs to God. Your child belongs to God, and we're, he, your child is only entrusted to you for a brief time. And we just trust that God will keep tugging at their hearts. And it is a testing of faith, and you just have to believe that God will work in their mm -hmm. hearts. And in the meantime, we keep praying for them. We keep encouraging them and reminding them that God loves them, and he cares for them, and he does. So... As I said before, our job as parents is to really turn them to Jesus, and um, when they're going through it, hope that they will see Jesus and cry out to him, and he's always there for our children, just as he is always there for us. All right. That's a good word. Barbara, could you, could you bring us home? <laughs> I'll try. <laughs> <laughs> but my children grew up in the 50s and 60s, and so... Um, I don't think, you know, they didn't have all of the things that are going on today, the temptations. They had them, and we all go through the dry spells, and we all go through times where we wonder, are our children, you know, following the Lord? And uh, as Mary said, the Lord is so faithful, he brings them back. But as I said to the ladies the other day, the thing that we have to remember as parents, that you're teaching your children to love the Lord and tr you're living that life, but they make their own decisions. So when they get older and maybe they're not living the way you want them to, it's not your fault, it's their decisions. And so you just get on your knees and keep praying and mm. the Lord is faithful. And the other thing I wanted to say is don't make motherhood desperate, you know? <laughs> I mean, enjoy your children as they're growing up and uh, be their model. They're precious. So you just hug them and love them and laugh with them. And I was saying in the earlier, the thing that I think is missing today is the time around the table, the dinner table, the breakfast table, if that's when you have the time, where you're sitting as a family and you're sharing what the Lord has done or what your day has been or what your hardships are. And that's what I think is missing today. Mm. Well, praise God for loving and praying and faithful mothers. Um, thank you all so much for picking up a microphone. As somebody who picks up a microphone pretty regularly, I know that it takes uh, courage and, and, um, and bravery. And so thank you so much for being willing to share with us today. Uh, can we give them a round of applause? Thanks so much for being with us. You guys can head down. Thank you. <clears throat> really appreciate you all. Thanks so much. Well, as we, uh, before we end today, let me just remind us of that key point in our passage. Um, and it was this. I'll put it on the screen. Mature faith waits and trusts in the Lord. Abraham and Sarah should have waited and trusted, but they didn't, and they made a huge mess. So God gives us Hagar in this passage. The only woman he speaks to as an example of patient faith. And if you look in verses 15 and 16 of chapter 16, you'll see that Sarah's name isn't mentioned, that Ishmael is Hagar's son, that Hagar's faith is rewarded, but God also did not forget about Abraham and Sarah. God kept his promise to them. He saw them too. He heard them. 
And in Genesis chapter 21, a son is born to Sarah in her old age, and it says this, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time which God had spoken to him. Next slide, please. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. Sarah waited a long, long, long time. And I can just imagine how overwhelmingly joyful she felt. And this is significant for us because from the line of Isaac, a Savior is born to us. Paul picks this up in Galatians 4 when he writes, Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. That you are children of promise. The promise of salvation to the world came through the line of Isaac, and it was God's way of saying or shouting, You are not invisible. Jesus says, I see you. I hear you. I am your great high priest who can sympathize with your weaknesses. I have seen your affliction because I took on affliction for you. I adopted you into my family where you can be fully known and truly loved. And so I'll invite the worship team back on stage. They have one more song for us. And as they come, I wonder if today you need the angel of the Lord to speak to you. Look to Hagar's story because you are not invisible. There's a God who sees you. And to all the moms out there, Jesus is calling you. He sees you. He's calling you to be faithful servants to whom he will one day say, well done, good and faithful servant. And to all the women out there, wherever you are on the journey and whatever you are waiting for, you are not invisible. There's a God who sees you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today, for your goodness and your grace, Lord. We thank you for how good you are to us and how you love us, Lord Jesus. We ask that you would just do a good work in our lives. I pray and thank you for mothers and for um, how they have loved us and how they pray for us. Thank you for faithful testimonies, Lord. Father, help us today, wherever we are, to know that we're not invisible, that you see us, that you're a God who loves us. And redemption has come to this world. We praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.